Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Dawn here, and I am the senior pastor of Life Path Apostolic Agape House of Prayer. And I thank and praise God for an, another opportunity to come before you. I am so honored that on this night, God has allowed us to come together to get into his word, to study as we present to you Thursday night Bible study. We're going to be talking about Cain and Abel. <laughs> We're going to talk about Cain and Abel now. Y'all know they they had some stuff going on and we can all relate coming from our dysfunctional families that function by our dysfunction. Amen. So we're going to have a conversation about them tonight. I invite you to um, join us. Join us on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. as we go into Bible, I mean into prayer, intercessory prayer on Tuesday nights. We are praying for you and you and you. We are praying for the family. We are praying for the ministry. We are praying for our community, for our nation. We are praying for this entire world. God is a good God and he needs his intercessors to get on post. We are those who are the mouthpiece of God. We are bringing those things into fruition as God proclaims through us. Amen. So we want you to join us on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. for our powerful prophetic prayer. And on Thursday nights, we have Bible study and we invite you to join us. I'll share with you all. I'm trying to figure out how to use this um podcast and bring other people on, but we're going to get there. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> Eventually, God is just preparing us, but he's doing a great thing as he takes us through this chronological review of the Bible. And I encourage you, if you haven't yet, go out and listen to those Bible supplements uh, that God gives us every now and then so that we can add to what we're learning. God wants to lay a firm foundation. And I've said this once before. We are biblically illiterate. We are biblically illiterate because we don't get into our word for ourselves over the years. We want to name it and claim it and we want to go based on somebody else's relationship and understanding of God. Oftentimes, we don't get into that word. We don't meditate on the word. We don't dig deeper into the word. We don't study to show ourselves the proof. We say we do, <laughs> but the proof is in the pudding. Amen. It's in the way that we live our lives and the way that we, you know, proclaim the gospel. We ain't getting in that word. So get in the word. It ain't about memorizing scripture. It ain't about being able to say the cliche cast church uh, um, sayings that we're so used to over the years. But it's about communing with God. His word will become alive in your life. It'll come alive in your life. So I encourage you to get into your word and come along with us. Study with us. We enjoy the word and we enjoy God's people. Amen. All right, so this is the invitation to you, Tuesday night prayer, 7 p.m., Thursday night Bible study, and on Saturdays, we worship God. We worship him. (laughs) We celebrate him for all that he has done and all that he has brought us through. All right, well, my Mary is going to lead us out in prayer this uh, afternoon, this evening, and then we'll go into Bible study. Amen. 
Lord, we come to you to first give you thanks for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord. Thank you so much for guiding and covering and protecting us, Lord. We ask that you continue to guide us, open our ears, give us discernment of our heart, and um, open our ears to you, Lord. Give us discernment of your word. We thank you for giving us the command to obey you and for promising to be our God and we will be your people, Lord. Um, we shall walk in obedience to all of the commands um, that it may go well with you, Lord. And Lord, we do want to understand and we do see, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24, but they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts and they went backwards and not forward. Lord, we ask that you keep us from doing that. We ask that you move us forward in your word, forward in your purpose, forward in this Bible study, forward in this church, Lord. We ask that you continue to reveal to us the things that we should be learning so that we're able to teach others, Lord. Um, we understand that whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, um, but the ones who confess their sins and renounce them will find mercy, Lord. So we ask that you forgive us for our sins. We ask that you take away our sins, take away the love that we have for our sins, Lord. We ask that you give us more love for you than we have for our sins, Lord, so that we can have a clear mind a clear head so that we can receive the things that you are giving to us, Lord. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And we ask that you just continue to bless us and open our hearts and minds towards you. Amen. Amen. Look at God. God, we just thank you. And we welcome you in as we surrender our will. Father God, we ask that you will speak through us. Help us to receive your word. Help us to receive a rhema word that will change our lives. Tonight, as we come to this study, we come uninhibited by our own lack of knowledge, our own unbelief. But we are standing on your word. And we thank you tonight. We celebrate you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so let's go over this real quick. The core truths. <laughs> we talk about Cain and Abel. All right, here's one fact. Sin always shows up in interpersonal relationships. Eve had no idea that her sin would cost her both of her sons. Listen here. Remember, you can do whatever you are physically, emotionally, mentally capable of doing, but one thing you cannot do is choose the consequences of your actions. Somebody else is going to do that. Religion is man's attempt to come to God his own way. God establishes how much he, I'm sorry, God establishes how he must be approached. God's truth must be passed from generation to generation. Fellow man is not our problem, but problems with fellow man reveal the deeper problem we have with God. The enemy seeks to keep God from carrying out his promises and sending a seed to deal with the serpent. God supply rises, raises another son. God, I'm sorry, God simply raises another seed. The first two lineages differ. The first case of polygamy and oppressive treatment of women was Cain's lineage. 
Seth's lineage contained God seekers. Remember, he was a worshiper of God. Cain, uh, like all who follow in his footsteps, creates a world whereby he can live without God. Remember, he went to the east, so he went away from God. All right, so let's review last week. Remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, (laughs) remember uh, what we talked about and uh, tell me what kind of identity were the people living out of outside of the Garden of Eden? What type of identity were they living out of? Um, so by that, the type of identity that they were living out of, so once they were kicked out of the garden, they still had the same authority that God has given to them. They just didn't have the same, I don't know the correct word that I'm looking for, but um, before when they were in the garden, they didn't have many worries, but they were living. Okay, so it cut us off (laughs) because the the alarm went off. But anyway, so you said they were living out of what identity? Um, So they were living out of the identity of um, once they left the garden, they had revealed themselves to um, good and evil. So they were living out of the identity, not through the innocent eyes that they had before when God was shooting and protecting them. They were living in the real world now, so they were living out of that type of identity. Amen. Amen. They were living outside of their Christ identity, their God identity, the identity that God had given them. He had declared what his his, um, creation was. He said, let us make them in our image. And when sin set in, when iniquity caused them to sin, they began to see themselves and live and walk out of their own self identity which caused shame and other things. I love how uh, the passage talks about um, the sin, the sin and how that sin that Eve committed, that she had no idea that it would cost her both of her sons, both of her sons. Adam and Eve uh, and their two sons, Cain and Abel, lived outside of the Garden of Eden because of the sin of Eve and Adam. They were all separated from God. There was no way that they could invent a way to approach God. Only God can make it possible or could make it possible for them to come to him. God told Adam and Eve what to do. So even after they sinned, God told them what to do if they wanted to approach him. Remember, when they were in the Garden of Eden, they were walking side by side with God. But when they were kicked out, now you lost that um, direct contact. (laughs) I'm laughing because at some point, you have to separate people from you. They cannot have direct contact with you. And I had to make a very hard decision several months ago. You, you, you no longer can have direct access because if you get direct access, 
to me, it causes me more problems. But anyway, that's the same thing with God. God said, you can no longer have direct access, but you can have access. And I will tell you how to approach me in worship. And so he told Adam and Eve how to approach him. And they told their sons. And so (coughs) they instructed them on what had to happen in order for them to come to God, that they must bring a lamb as the sacrifice, sacrificial gift to God, and they would have to kill the lamb by shedding its blood. The blood of an animal cannot wash away sin, but God required the animal sacrifices. He wanted to remind them that the payment for sin is death. He wanted them to remember that they would die and be punished eternally unless God himself saved them. And if they agreed with God that they were sinners and that only God could save them from eternal punishment, that they must bring a lamb and kill it as God commanded them to. And this was a sign that they believed him because God is holy. He hates sin and he demands that it be punished with death. The Bible teaches that sin requires blood to be shed. This is a foundational principle of the Bible in Leviticus 17 and 11. The word of God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the souls. In Hebrew 9 and 22, the word of God says, And most all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of the blood is no remission or forgiveness. God told Adam that if they were would come to him with the sacrifice of the shed blood, He would forgive their sins. And this was a part of God's merciful plan to free us from the power of sin that Satan had brought into the earth. And of death, Cain and Abel both brought gifts to God in Genesis 4, 3, and uh, 5. They both believed that God existed. They remind us that Uh, There are two types of people, religious people and spiritual people. One came to God according to the way that God had commanded, and the other came to God according to the way that seemed right in his own human understanding. Belief in God's existence is not enough to please God. Even demons believe in God. Even the devil believes that God exists, James and two uh, and and nineteen tells us that, but God only accept those who come to Him in His way. Abel brought a lamb, and he killed it by shedding the blood. God accepted his offering, and Abel agreed with God that he was a sinner, and that only God could save him from eternal punishment. Abel believed God was sent a great savior as God had promised Adam and Eve. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice of faith and obedience and the animal's blood could not 
uh, paid for Abel's sin, but God accepted Abel because he trusted God and not in himself. Cain brought a gift of fruit of the ground, fruit of vegetation. There was no bloodshed. He tried to come to God uh, with the good works of his hand, the things that he had done. The sacrifice did not show the picture of a guilty sinner being punished. Uh, He did not obey God and did not believe God for what he said about uh, a coming Savior. Cain tried to come to God in his own way. He did not accept God's will for his life. He did not repent as a sinner. And he even halted himself or became halty in the sense that he wanted to bring God what he wanted to bring God. But God did not accept the offering of Cain. And if you remember how Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with aprons of of leaves, God rejected their human efforts. He shed the blood of animals. Remember, we learned that to make clothes for them, an innocent animal. God does not accept us in our way, the way that we want to present ourselves to God. He only accepts us his way. A few good works cannot pay for sin. We think that we can pay for sin by doing a few good things. Sin is so terrible that it can only be paid with a terrible death of bloodshed. And that's what Jesus did for us. God talked with anger against Uh, Cain in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Even though Cain would not obey God, God still loved him. And he tried to convince him to come in the proper way, in the appropriate way. God would still have accepted him if he had come with a blood sacrifice, believing and trusting God's promise of a coming Savior. Cain would not listen to God. He became very angry and he went and he killed his brother. When we don't listen to God, it harms us and other people. It don't just impact us. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it affected all of us. Everybody was affected. Cain's disobedience caused Abel's death. Cain was influenced by the enemy to kill his brother similar to how Eve was influenced by the enemy to kill her husband. Satan does not want people to listen to God. And he doesn't want us to obey his word. God asked Cain about Abel. And God already knew what Cain had done. He knows all and he sees all. But he wanted Cain to admit his sin. Still, God, merciful. But God punished Cain, and the ground was cursed so that he could not farm anymore. God would not have uh, to leave his home. I mean, God would would have him leave his home and his family and his parents. And in the end, he would have to die. And upon his death, without God, he would be destined to the lake of fire or hell. That's what we talked about in our supplement. Cain's descendants followed his example. They did not seek God and they became exceedingly wicked. 
they became wicked. God gave Adam and Eve another son, and that was Seth. And like Abel, he believed in God, and he obeyed God. And Seth was the human ancestor of Jesus Christ, because he was the forefather of Noah. And if, if you remember, or, you know, once we get there, Noah, at the flood, all of humankind was wiped off of the face of, a, of the earth. So Seth's lineage was the only ones that survived through Cain. And Jesus was, Jesus was a descendant of Seth through Noah, and he is our Savior from the promised land all the way from the beginning at the, at the beginning with God. Uh, in the beginning, there was the Word, and God was the Word, and Jesus was the Word. So we know that he was there even from the beginning. Amen? All right. So let's get into our study. If you want to pull up Genesis 4, chapters 1 through 16, and we're going to talk through the passage and talk through a few things. (laughs) Where does the first child come from? Where does the first child come from? We go back to Genesis Um, chapter 4. It looks like uh, Cain came from Adam and Eve. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) So Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain. All right. Uh, what does this tell you about God? That he had a, a plan structured and he knew exactly how he wanted the population to be formed. Amen. Be fruitful and what? Multiply. Multiply. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, how do the brothers differ? How do they differ? Well, Cain is a little bit hard-headed. He don't want to believe in God. Abel is more respectful and um, like actually submit to God's will. Abel had faith in God. He had faith to believe God. He believed what God told him and he acted accordingly. He knew that God wanted the best for him and he responded accordingly through his sacrifice. The thing that I love about the study tonight, right? We understand that God instructed Adam and Eve even after he had to exile them from the Garden of Eden. Even after he had to separate them physically from him, he instructed them precisely on how they can get back into his presence. He said, I'm going to give you the key on how to get back into my presence. They shared that with his, with their children and their children knew what the sacrifice was. I'm telling you that thing just touches me because it is my mission. Even through this assignment that God has given me to plant this ministry, to teach my children the way to sacrifice to, I'm sorry, to worship God, 
the way to engage with God, how to come into his presence. Amen. But anyway, God had given them those instructions. They passed it down to their children and Abel came before God humbly saying that the sacrifice that he made is said more than just what he did. The sacrifice that he made, he was humbling himself and saying, I am a sinner. I'm nothing without you. I acknowledge all of my flaws, all of my iniquities, everything. And therefore, I give you the sacrifice that you say is needed for my sin. But Cain, on the other hand, more like Satan, you know how he felt like he was haughty and he felt like he he could be like God because he was beautiful and wise and all of these things. And he did not humble himself and bow down to God and say, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And it's more than just about asking for forgiveness. It's about turning from those ways. Uh, Okay, so uh, what do we understand about approaching God with an offering? Desires and accepts as offering, um, not just what we feel like we want to give. We really need to sacrifice something that is going to be like we can't just take the easy route out and just get the fruit and sacrifice that. We have to sacrifice something that He sees as a sacrifice. Amen. Amen. We can't just give Him what we want. Right. You know, on, on birthdays and Mother's Days and anniversaries and Father Days. You know, and things like that. We oftentimes give gifts based on what we want to present to people, and sometimes people will have an an indignation to, to not be appreciative of the gift that they want. You know why? Because it wasn't what they want. I mean, the gift that they received because it wasn't what they wanted. I, I'm telling you, I'll never forget this. One Christmas, we had uh, we had got all y'all kids some stuff and and everybody was always so grateful for everything that they would get. It it wouldn't even matter. Y'all probably go back and talk about what you got that you didn't like. But one of y'all, I ain't gonna say no names, but let me just say, may start with a C and end with an A. (laughs) This year, I think it was, I think she wanted a cell phone or something. I can't remember. But maybe we got her a doll baby. Or maybe we got her something that we thought was hip for the time, you know. Ooh, that child had an attitude. She did not want that gift. She did not want it. And I'm telling you, me and your daddy got such a kick out of that because we thought it was funny. But the same thing that happened with her is what happened with God. We didn't inquire with a kid on what you want for Christmas. We just said, hey, we're going to get you what we can afford to give you. God, God don't work that way. We can't just bring him anything. He wants our best. He wants our best. He wants the first fruit. He wants what we have that we uh, sacrifice, a real sacrifice. Amen. All right. Let me see. What's the next question? How do they know how to approach God? I would say from their parents teaching them. Yep. It was from their their, their parents teaching them, passing that tradition down from generation to generation and the uh, pattern was established with them when God sacrificed the animal for 
uh, to cover their nakedness. That was how God communicated or articulated how to come into his presence through that sacrifice. That pattern was established. All right, so how do they differ? Okay, I think we already talked about this, but how how do they differ in their offerings and how does God respond? How does Cain and Abel differ in their offerings and how does God respond? So Abel had an actual offer that shed blood and as we just talked about, um, sin is punished by death, so all sin sheds blood. So his sacrifice actually shed blood. Um, so God actually accepted that sacrifice, and he actually, that was acceptable to God. Now Cain um, just decided to come bring some fruit. So to me, I would be looking at it like, so you did the sin, you want the same forgiveness, but you don't want to put in the same effort and give what you're supposed to give. Amen. And and another way to look at it is Abel, Cain gave his best. So he looked around, he said, well, look, this is the best I got to give. I'm going to give you this. Even though this ain't what you asked for, this ain't even what we supposed to be bringing you, but this is the best I got to give you. Abel gave God's best. He gave God's best. And all God wants from us is that we give what? His best through us. You know how I pray a lot of times, God, forgive us for sin, seen and unseen, that we may stand through your righteousness. It is by God's righteousness that we stand, and it is by his gifts that we provide the sacrifice. But he's given us the gift. So Cain gave his best, and Abel gave God's best. All right, let's see, what is this question? What does Abel understand about approaching God that Cain doesn't? exactly what you said that he needed to bring God's best and Cain didn't understand that he just brought his own best yep that God has he's given us instruction and the plan to have a substantial covering for our sins God is the only one who can define what can cover our sins. The iniquity that causes us to sin can't cover our sins. Our own thinking. Now, just imagine. Now, I, I don't know how I would have been um, during that time, but I wouldn't have thought no leaves would cover me up. Now, that didn't even make no common sense. But, but God knew. Hebrews 11 and 4 says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. How could Abel make an offering by faith? God said Abel made the offering by faith. He had faith in God. He had to have faith in God. And we see this recurring throughout the Bible. It says, what does this tell you about God? What does this tell you about God? Well, it tells me a couple things. It tells me that God is not on our timing or on our terms. He's 
very strict and still in what he wants and what he like there's no negotiating from our level he, he knows what he wants and it also tells me that he's so powerful to the point that you may not even know like you said Cain gave his best Abel gave God's best so God was able to like advise him what it was that he was looking for that's how powerful God is he'll tell you exactly what you need to do you don't have to go like really hard searching looking for it if you listen to him he'll tell you exactly what you need to do amen how does God confront Cain After he killed his brother. Oh yeah. Oh, after he killed his brother, God said, "I already know what you did." But he wa- well, he wanted him to admit what he did, although God already knew what he did because the death of his brother already cried out to God. But God confronted him like, "You need to admit what you did." The thing that that I love about this passage and how God for for both right for Adam and Eve and for Cain. Immediately following their sin, God came to them and confronted them with what they had done, giving them an opportunity to confess their sins. And so he handled Cain in such a way to say, what have you done? And Cain came back. He said, he asked him, he said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be the one? keeping my brother, just like his daddy. You know, he said, look, you gave me this woman. You the one that gave her to me. He want to punt the responsibility off and, and, and what they call it, project on something else and deflect. That's what I'm trying to find. <laughs> the word. He want to deflect instead of answering the call. All right, so, so the question here is, and we just talked about it. Well, no, maybe we did. Does God give Cain another chance? And if so, what does that tell you about God? Oh, yes, God gave him another chance because Cain, how, how did Cain kill his brother and then tell God he was being too harsh on him? <laughs> but after that, God did let him know, like, look, you can go about the land and nobody will kill you because then they will be punished. So to me, he definitely gave him a second chance. And that just shows how merciful and loving God is. And he's already shown that when he's given Adam and Eve a second chance. Mm, mm, mm. God's goal for man is repentance. When we do what we ain't supposed to be doing, God wants us to repent. That's his goal. And in his goal, he uses confrontation to reconcile us. So he came to him. He already knew that was going to be a contentious situation. But he used that to reconcile us, not to condemn. My God, my God. This is one way that you know when you're dealing with the Holy Spirit versus another spirit, a demonic spirit, is the Holy Spirit comes to convict The enemy comes to condemn. So if you're feeling condemned about a thing, that's the enemy. But the Holy Spirit will convict you into action. It doesn't mean that your actions are not going to be judged or challenged or anything like that. But if you are feeling berated, you already went to God and asked for forgiveness and the enemy wants to keep berating you about something, that is condemnation. Conviction causes change and it causes you to turn 
from your ways and turn to God. Turn to uh, Proverbs 28 and 13. Read that scripture again. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Amen. Amen. So he wants us to confess them and find mercy. All right. So let me see. What does this say? Where else does, uh, where else do we see God's confronting of sin and how does he confront Adam and Eve? Well, we already know that. <laughs> Is it saying like other than Cain and Abel, where else do we see his confronting the sin? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. When he confronted them for eating the forbidden fruit and the way that he confronted them, exactly what we just answered. We answered that question with the last one. <laughs> right, right, right. And we know the difference between condemnation and conviction, but I want you to give an example in your own words. Oh, yes, for sure. So in my own words, I would say, um, let's say that someone's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Um, whatever it is. So I know that a lot of sin comes out of addiction. So let's say someone has an addiction and they decide that they want to no longer do it. They may feel convicted um, about the addiction. Let's say they may get around someone who's spiritual. And I've heard this too with people with a lot of authority over their lives. People feel convicted just being in their presence. But um, an example would be someone struggling with addiction may feel convicted by God and seek help and seek forgiveness and actually turn away from that. Someone feeling condemned may get depressed and fall even deeper into the addiction because they feel helpless like there's nothing that they can do about it. Amen. Now, now, if you think about it, we were just talking about uh, something the other day that is a great example, right? Uh, having a godly rebuke for your actions brings forth conviction. Having a worldly condemnation, like you said, will bring forth uh, depression or, or things that to seep you deeper into what you're doing. Remember, we were just talking about Roe versus Wade being reversed. And so I see on the television all the time, you've got these so-called Christians going in front of these people and getting in their face. <laughs> you're not moral. You're not godly. You know, all of these uh, attacking words, all of these condemning words versus displaying the love of God, saying, let's get to the root of the pain. Let's get to the root of the problem and why you feel compelled to take another life. What is it that we can do within our uh, realm of influence or, or a sphere of influence to help you? and what you're going through versus condemning you uh, for the state that you're in. All right. How does Cain, we already talked about that. How does he respond to God's rebuke? Uh, uh, What does this tell us about man's refusal to come to God through God's way? (laughs) It shows that, first of all, I'm still stuck on the fact that he tried to tell God what punishment was too much. So I feel like men just 
get a little bit, I want to say arrogant, but I don't know if that's the right word to use, but they put themselves in the place of God in a way, trying to judge what your punishment should be, and it shows that um, they're a little bit stubborn, because it's like, look, you're already caught, so you're better off just seeing how to fix it. The thing that gets me, and I see this a lot of times with people when they get caught doing something, how are you going to get angry because of something you did? Right. When I tell you God speaks to me often and I listen to the Holy Spirit, the other day I was so frustrated. On last week I was, um, I was doing this planning event and we were in the planning, and I get so irritated with sideway conversations. I don't know why that's a problem for me, but I'm telling you, ever since I was a kid, do not come talking to me about something that it is so obvious <laughs> that you done talked to somebody else about, about me, and now you want to come and have this third-party conversation with me like I'm stupid enough to think that you ain't already been talking all about it. But I'm talking about the least little thing agitates me in that scenario. And I don't know why you would think I would have matured past that. But anyway, because I had COVID, I knew that these jokers had been talking about me having COVID to the point that they started a couple of days before the event. Do we have to get tested? How many times do we have to get tested? Do we need to test every day? So in other words, they want to flush out whether or not I tested. Mm. Just ask me a direct com- a question. Don't be having no conversations about me behind my back, then come asking me a question that y'all done already discussed. At, at that point, no, I'm not answering nobody's question. <laughs> but but this, <coughs> this is how I was at the beginning of the week, last week. And then here they come, asking me these side door conversations, I mean questions, on the day of the event. Oh, well, do we need to wear our masks? Do we have to, uh, do the nurses make us test today? Do we have, how does that go? Do we test every day? Because they fishing and they trying to get me to say, oh, I tested, you know, whatever. So they can feel more comfortable. I'm like, oh, and I'm telling you, I literally left that day. Just so, I was fuming. So much had happened that day that went right and went wrong. And so many things more potent than that but that one little thing just pissed me off <laughs> I'm telling y'all I was on my way home I was just like oh these people get on my nerves the next one that I've asked me a question I'm telling you the truth oh I'm a oh I ain't gonna cuss but I'm, I'm telling they better not ask me again <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just so politely spoke it into my spirit and said if you never would have opened your mouth they never would have known And the follow-up is what was so profound. You can't get mad at something that you caused. So moving forward, and I pray I perfect this, because, you know, practice make permanent. I don't know about perfect. But I pray that I learn how to to filter my emotions through this one principle. If it was anything that I did that caused it to get to this point, I can't even be mad. If it's anything I did through the life cycle of whatever the issue is, if it's anything that I did along the way that could have stopped it, 
and I caused it to keep going, I can't get mad at nobody but myself because I can only control me. If I would have never told them jokers that I had COVID, I could have told my the nurse at the um, at the office. They can't tell nobody because of HIPAA. I could have told the nurse they could have disclosed to HR that somebody in, in that location, they, they can't give any identifying information. So nobody would have known it was me, okay? Except I would have been gone for five days, you know, and I still could have been like, oh, I'm not feeling well. I don't have to tell you that I have COVID. But I did that. So that was a lesson learned for me. But I went down that rabbit hole because I was talking about how we get angry. And people get so angry about stuff that they did. How am I going to get angry about something that I did? I know better. Just keep your mouth shut. Keep keep it to a minimum. You know, but then when people get confronted with their sin, then they want to get upset because they receive a godly rebuke. You have to learn obedience to the will of God. You have to learn to come subject to the obedience of the Holy Spirit. And God will use his people to help to bring forth conviction in the things that we do. And guess what we do? Lord, forgive me. Help me to do better next time. Not, do I look like I'm my brother's keeper? Who you think I am? I, you gave me this woman. What do you think? You know, no, that's the wrong attitude to have. All right, let's see if we got any other good questions. All right. Uh, okay, how does God punish Cain? Do you remember that? How did he yeah. punish him? Under the land, and um, even then, you had grace on him and said nobody could kill him, but they still sent him off in the wilderness. Ain't that just like God? He like, look, I'm gonna get you, but better right. not nobody else put their hands on you. Then I nobody parent. touch you. I'm telling you, that's 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 a straight up real parent. I tell people a lot of times about my dad, about uh, big dude. It. We we had the uh, hood experience, right? Our, our life, I mean, we grew up in the, in the hood. We My parents kept us living like we weren't in the hood, but we grew up in the hood. And we got into a lot of fights. We got into a lot of, you know, altercations, whatever. My dad was the type of person that you could talk to his kids, argue, whatever. Once you put your hands on them, it's over. It's over. <laughs> he don't care. You better not touch his kids. And that was a thing I believe he was. He took that one to the grave. He he did not play that. Do not put your hands on his kids. And if you threaten their life or threaten them, trust me, you was gonna get dealt with. All right. Let me see. Um, Well, we already talked about his his response to God's punishment, but elaborate on that. Yeah, because this part just blows <laughs> my mind. He is going to tell God that he's being too harsh and that he would like a lesser punishment. But to me, in my head, I'm just like, how are you going to kill your own brother and then try to decide the punishment? One thing that we have all been taught is you choose your actions, but you do not choose your consequences. So in that moment, uh, Cain was trying to 
pick his consequences and you don't get that luxury after you just committed the worst sin. Right, right. And and to be honest, God told him, he said, I'm going to exile you. You're going to be a vagabond. But he didn't really get the punishment for what he did. You know, at that time, he didn't get the punishment for what he did. All right, so so we already talked about how God responded to Cain's uh, complaint. You you got anything else to elaborate on that or, or tell us what does that tell you about God? Oh, it tells me that God, like I said earlier, it's his way. He don't go off what he said, we say. It's no negotiating now. He has his own mercy that he decides, but what the mercy he had on Cain didn't have anything to do with what Cain said. It had to do with God's heart and how he felt. But that just shows me that God is very stern in his word. And this is something that I'm learning in my own life, which is really good that we're having this Bible study because it's like he doesn't mold and shape himself to come down to us i said this the other day he doesn't come down to us in our liking we have to elevate ourselves to come up to him and his liking and what he would like so i just feel like he wasn't budging he had his he, he knew how he wanted to punish Cain, and nothing Cain said could change that yeah yeah and and he was even still he was being merciful <laughs> because he loved him uh I'm going to skip this one because we already talked about this. Some of these questions are redundant. So, uh, all right. Uh, but his descendants, so Cain's descendants took after him. They were vain. And if you think about it, if you correlate just the example that we have of who Lucifer was, who Satan was, who the devil was, and Cain, I mean, he's got so many attributes. He was haughty. He was prideful. He, you know, uh, considered himself more. He was, what, a narcissist? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to be a narcissist to kill your own brother and then turn around and worry about yourself. Now, what in the world? Now, let's just break this down for a minute. You not thinking about your mama or your daddy. You done took their son, they have but two. You gonna go and kill your brother, and now the only thing you worried about is, oh, I'm gonna have to go away from here, and people go when they find out what I did, they gonna kill me. Well, I mean, look at what you did. How many times I come from a huge family? I'm telling you. And the thing that aggravates me the most about the family dynamics that I come from, or the dysfunction in which we function in, is that they have a reverse way of thinking about what is good, righteous, and what is not. And in their minds, because of the structure of our, uh, what is the social construct of our culture, within our culture, (laughs) which is our family dynamics, they see kindness and sensitivity and emotions as being weak. So they consider me to be maybe the weakest link, not even understanding that that is my power. That is my strength. God is love. And any time we can demonstrate God's love or we can uh, exhibit God's love 
feel God's love, share God's love. We are operating in power. We are operating in strength. But they see it as a weakness. And sometimes I get in my feelings and I'm like, Lord, why these people treat me a certain way? I had to tell a couple of them, look, we cut from the same cloth. <laughs> Just because y'all see this clergy collar. And I am, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a uh, big bark, small bite type of person. And that's not because I'm not as powerful or I don't have the same strength as you. It's because I love you and I don't want to see you hurt, you know. But when I think about these family dynamics, and how that hatred can get so deep and so strong for your brother, for your sister. Sometimes I won't even let my anger with one of my siblings get to the point that I will ponder it and continue to to allow it to permeate me. Because one, I don't want to get so upset with them uh, that, that my love for them shifts. And the second part is I definitely don't want to become callous and cold cold towards them. I don't want to not have emotions or feelings towards them. I remember one time I had gone through something and I just stopped. My emotions uh, stopped. And I said, God, I'd rather feel every emotion <laughs> than to, be, to have a callous heart towards your people. But I've experienced that, you know, where family members try to kill your kill your uh, reputation or they try to pull you down because they don't really understand. And in their lack of maturity, they see their way as the right way. And in actuality, it's not. It's, it's an immature mind that believes that conflict and controversy and all of the drama is where you live. I, I'm just passing through drama now, <laughs> you know, as we mature and grow up and get older, you know, I'm passing through drama. Uh, but anyway, some of us get stuck there. All right. So what is this in Genesis uh, 14, 17 through 25? Uh, what does God do to provide a future to Adam and Eve? Oh, that's a good one. What does God do to provide a future to Adam and Eve? Looking. Look in Genesis 4, 17 through 25. Okay, so I believe that what they're saying is that the future is their generations going on and on because Cain then had a baby. Go a, a, little, a little, little bit further oh. down. Yeah, and then, um, so Cain had a child and named the city after his child, Enoch. Or, or go, go, go all the way down to the last, to the last one, the last verse. Okay, and then, um, Enoch had his son. Uh-uh, oh. I said, I said four, 17 through 25. Yep. What did, what did God do to provide a future to Adam and Eve? No, no, no. Chapter 4. I'm so sorry. So, yeah, God um, gave them another child. Gave them another child. And who was that child? Uh, Seth. And then who was was Seth's child? Uh, Cain. 
from Seth's bloodline. And then what happened? What happened to everybody outside of Noah? Outside of Noah, everybody was lost in the flood. And they got wiped out. And then as a result, Jesus came through that bloodline. And so God fulfilled his promise through who? Seth. He said, I'm going to send a seed to destroy the enemy. And that seed was Jesus. And it came through Seth. All right. So let's see. Uh, what, but but to, to your point, the scriptures that you were reading about how they named, they named these cities, they named uh, these places after themselves, they were haughty. And see, they were making gods of themselves. Seth made an, a, 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 a worship. He, he taught his family how to worship God, how to worship God. I was about to say, he made a an altar, but he didn't. He he worshipped God. Um, okay. Uh, well, we are. I just gave that answer. What does God promise to do <laughs> to Satan through Eve? See, <laughs> in Genesis three and fifteen. Uh, what is significant about Seth's birth? Uh, all right, so let's go to Genesis 5, 1 through 5. All right, and so what happens to Adam? What happens to Adam here? Uh, so 1 through 5 is going through um, Adam's bloodline, and he lived a total of 930 years. And what happened? And then he died. All right. So uh, what had God promised would happen when Adam and Eve. Oh, well, we already read that. All right. Eve, five, and three. Cool. All right. So read, read five and three. Yeah. So what is God? I mean, what happened to man's identity? <laughs> um, so who does man look like now? Now, like Adam and um, like Seth. Yeah. So here it says that Adam lived 130 years and he begot a son and what? His own likeness. So in other words, now you, we have taken God's identity and we've forsaken God's identity and we begin to reproduce in our own identity. Uh, okay, what does the study tell us about God and man? Um, so still in the same Genesis 1 through mm-hmm. So it tells us that, well it says here that Read, I want you to read, start at uh, one and read all the way to five. Yeah, so um, the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named, he named them Seth. 
So to me, what that shows with the dynamics of God and man is originally God made them in his likeness. And then after man has sinned, he then made them in man's uh, likeness. Yep. And God, when God made man in his likeness, what was the thing that he did immediately for man? Well, just based on what you just read. Oh, he named them mankind. He named them. He, them. He, he and blessed them. He gave them an identity. God gave them identity. He named them, and then after he named them, he blessed them. That's the difference between man and God. See, God is the only one that can give you identity and turn around and bless you. All right. What is the natural response to our sin? What is our natural response to our sin? Um, my personal opinion would be like feeling ashamed. At times. I think that, I think as, at least for me, I can say our, at times our natural response is, you know how people always say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah. He knows, he knows where I'm at. He wants me to be happy. He knows the things that I'm going through. But no, God does not want us, nor does he permit us to sin. And the closer we get into our word and the, the closer we get to him, the less likely uh, we'll, we'll sin as we get into a relationship with him. All right. Uh, where do we see God exhibiting a pattern of behavior? What does he teach us about himself by the way he treats Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel? Okay, where do we see God exhibiting a pattern of behavior? Okay, and what does he teach us about himself by the way he treats Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel? So God's pattern of behavior definitely is showing mercifulness, like showing mercy and grace on us. Oh, uh, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to confront you and make you tell the truth of what you did. Um, He doesn't pacify your behavior. He makes you stand up and be like man enough or woman enough to say, look, I made this mistake, but he has enough mercy and grace to allow us to sacrifice things to be forgiven. And another point that I like to make on that as well is we have to want the forgiveness as much as he wants to give it to us because if we don't want it enough to sacrifice the right things, we end up like Cain in exile. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And, 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 and he shows us the pattern of his mercy in the way that he gives us a way out. Yes. The redemptive plan of God that was created before the beginning of time because everything that is that is God knew. Right. And so people say, well, God knew everything. Why does he allow evil to happen? Why does he allow? Because God gave man free will. Right. He gave man free will. And I'm very careful not to say that God gave us a choice. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no choice. <laughs> it's just a bad decision. <laughs> ain't no choice, because the choice is already made. Right. We ain't got but one choice. But anyway, all right. 
So God communicates with his people. He sees everything. This is what we learned about God. He knows the heart. He knows the heart. He holds man responsible for his actions. God is merciful. And sometimes he gives a guilty man another chance and another and another and another. I can't wait till we get to um, the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, or, or was it Solomon Gomorrah? Solomon Gomorrah. All right. Uh, his anger towards others is ultimately, I mean, anger towards others. This is, this is key. Anger towards others is ultimately against God. When we find ourselves angry with other people, we need to start searching our hearts and find out what is it that we got a problem with God about. God can only be approached in his prescribed way. God is merciful towards sinners and God holds man accountable for taking the life of another. Remember, we talked about that with Roe versus Wade. God holds us accountable for taking the life of another, whether it's a baby or a grown man. Amen? All right, let me see. Uh, There was a few other things I wanted to go over real quick. (laughs) Things that we learned. God wants our best. Amen. God warns of uh, and offers a way of escape. <laughs> he will warn us before. And he'll offer us a way of escape. Our deeds are our are an outward physical statement of our inward thoughts. Our deeds are an outward physical statement of our inward results. Uh, sin finds us out. <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. And punishment does not always mean repentance. It doesn't always mean repentance because sometimes you just sorry you got caught versus sorry for what you're doing. When we start to have an intimate relationship with God, our remorse for the things that we do will cause us to change. And our worth is not determined by the world, all right? Our worth, our value is not determined by the world. These are some things that we learned as we went through these passages. And I want to give you the memory verses. So you can come and we can be ready with our memory verses next week. And next week, we're going to talk about Noah. We're going to talk about Noah, not Moab, but Noah. (laughs) All right, our memory verses. Genesis, I'm sorry, Hebrew 11 and 4. Hebrew 11 and 4. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Hebrew 11 and 3. Hebrew 11 and 6. Proverbs 28 and 13. We see that one again. We're going to really memorize that one. (laughs) Jeremiah 7, 23 through 24. Oh, I see what they're doing.
title. All right. So we're going to continue to read our scriptures. We had our week, so we're going to get all the way caught up to week five. So I'm going to post those scriptures uh, that we need to read. And like I said, just meditate on them. Uh, reread them as we go through uh, the, the different passages. And I just want you to say a final word and let me know uh, in what way did God speak to you through the story of Cain and Abel? I feel like God definitely spoke to me and I feel like I'm so grateful and I just love this Bible study so much, especially where I'm at, Um, 23 going on 24 years old. I feel like this is like really eye-opening to me, but the way that God spoke to me today uh, with the Cain and Abel story is... um, Um, The way that he spoke to me today with the Cain and Abel story is the fact that God chooses the punishment. We don't get to pick our punishment, but he will be merciful. Also, um, God is like stern on his ways. He doesn't come down to our level. That means that we have to go up to his level. We have to get within his um, covering, within his kingdom, within his presence to truly be a part of what he is trying to do. Because if we try to do it through ourselves, if we only bring what is our offering that's good enough for us, that's not what God is wanting. We have to really sink down and figure out what is it that God wants? What is it that is good enough to God? What is God's standards, not my own standards that is derived from my flesh? I need to get in the spirit and figure out what God's standards are. Amen, amen. That was good. (laughs) And it's amazing because God will use his word to help us to know him better, to bring us to a better place of intimacy. And even...